Go ahead. You were gonna, you were gonna say. You didn't something. need a plan. You said you were gonna. You didn't say need a plan. Go ahead. But you said you were gonna. You didn't say need a something. plan. Go ahead. What do you What do you mean? You were the one who was gonna say something. I never said I was gonna say anything. Yes, you did. Where's the recording of it? I'm not the. Where's the recording of it? You don't need to record. If I was, if we went to the courthouse and we were put under oath, you'd be charged with perjury. Were we put under oath? Do you want to be? Huh? Do you want to be put under oath? Sure. Great. Let's do it. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Do I say I do? Yeah. I do. I think that's actually wedding vow. What other imp- impersonations oh. can you do? This is my um, SpongeBob talking to Patrick. I will do both of them. Hi, I'm Patrick. <laughs> Hi, SpongeBob. <laughs> okay, well, that's pretty good. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, I can't do Jerry's Jerry. Jerry, I can't do Jerry's. I know you can. I've heard it. Only. It only comes out when he needs to. I'm low-key thinking... I want a whole episode. I think me and Jerry Seinfeld probably are, like, universally linked in some oh, way. Oh, like probably sometimes... He probably sometimes sounds like me. Oh, you think sometimes he just randomly shouts, like, I don't think that I sound like... But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You know what we should do? We should do a narrative <laughs> scripted podcast. <laughs> Like you just did with SpongeBob and Patrick. <laughs> yeah, but it's just it's just a script. Okay, do you want to? I don't practice? have anything written. No. Improv. This well, then it's just a regular podcast. Oh yeah, I guess we are under the improv category. <laughs> really? Sorry, beast. <laughs> Sorry about the beast. Anyways, welcome to episode twenty-one. No, twenty-two. Welcome to episode twenty-two. Or wait, twenty. Is it going to be 22? Yes. Okay. Welcome to episode 22 of Two Servings of Fruit. Woohoo! I'm Chase. Double, double digits, baby. Double, double digits, baby. I'm 22 years old. That's Liam. It's my birthday episode. No, it's not. It's my birthday Your episode. birthday episode's in October. Birth year episode. Who knows if we'll even be on the air by October. We'll be banned, criminally charged. I don't think you can ban a podcast. That seems like a little bit of sacrilegious. Unless you're out here saying... Guys, this is how we're going to murder the president. Don't say it. Why would you say it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're Canadian. Let's fucking do something about it. I'm not the let's fucking do something about it. <laughs> no, I'm telling them to do something about oh, it. Oh, I thought you meant like let's fucking they go can't get, get us. Him. They let's can't go. get us. We should actually start using this as like a, a network. You know, to start planning. No, I think actually we should just not tax. Yeah, I think we should just actually move on from that personally. Using planning attacks. Yeah. Um. Today we have on Scott Wabano. He is a fashion designer. He is a stylist. He is a two spirited person. He is and- a cover model. Hmm. We have someone on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. So um, that's going to be a really great interview, guys. Don't forget to fucking listen to it. <laughs> yeah, we chatted. Well, you'll see what we chatted about. Just stay tuned. Just stay tuned. First, 
First, we got weird shit of the week. I feel weird like I haven't done this in week. forever. We literally have not done weird shit of the week in a while. We actually haven't recorded a normal episode in a while because... We had so many interviews. Because we had... Well, we had queer roundtables, which were done on Zoom. We weren't together. Mm-hmm. And then we did um, body positivity. Mm-hmm. That was pre-recorded. So... Yeah. Make yourself cry again. <laughs> What if I wailed and sobbed like this? <laughs> you know what? The Speaking, acting. Yeah, it's great, right? Yeah. Speaking of whale. Oh, my weird segue. Sheet of the week, my weird sheet of the We didn't week. do the jingle. Oh, whoopsies. Cue jingle. Weird, it's the weirdest shit that you've ever seen this week. Yeah, welcome to Weird Shit of the Week. Your weird shit has to do with whales? Mm, Something about it. Okay. Mine is from Fox News as per, and um, the headline is, Massachusetts lobster diver survives being swallowed by whale. Quote, I was completely inside. I saw this on the news the other day. This is a thing? I saw this story on the other, on the, I saw this story on the news. Yeah, he said, I was completely inside the whale. It was completely black. Isn't that scary? That's kind of, well, you know what? I watched Finding Nemo a couple weeks ago. They were in a whale, and they survived too. They got blew out the blue hole, blow blow hole. <laughs> <laughs> they got blew out the blue hole. <laughs> yeah, but um, well, you can tell the story. I don't need to talk. Yeah, he was like, you know, obviously started to think. I'm. He thought to himself, "There's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead." All I could think of was my boys. They're 12 and 15 years old. God, that's bleak. Yeah, literally. Why'd you read that? I don't know, actually. Um, but he was in the mouth for about 30 seconds, and he was able to breathe because he still had his breathing apparatus. Interesting. Oh. And then in an effort to save himself, he began shaking the whale's head before the animal surfaced and ejected him. He said, the whale spit me out, and that he escaped with bruises and no broken bones. Wow. He didn't get spit out the blowhole, though. No, you, he couldn't He's fit through that thing. He'd fucking cork the whale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it says, based on what was described, this would have to be a mistake and an accident on the part of the humpback. <laughs> no shit, a humpback whale can't eat a person. They got, they he wasn't even, chewers. he was definitely not trying to eat you. Yeah. So, but, because they can't get through the teeth, right? Yeah, and the of course, are... they're, they're, it's baleen, I think is what it's called. Is it? And it's like, almost like hay. Yeah. It's like hair. Um, but it is on Fox News and I just am scrolling through the article and, and I got down to the bottom because it's on the comments. And then, of course, because it's Fox News, it says this one person said AOC is claiming that she was in danger from this as well, despite the fact that she was hundreds of miles away at the time, which is oh. a reference to the January 6th Capitol insurrection. Such a funny joke. Eight meters high. Only not at all. You tasteless piece of shit. Jesus. So what's your weird shit? Mine is from Huffington Post. Mm, Ariana. As per usual. Ariana. And the headline is Urine Saturated Home, dubbed Little Slice of Hell, listed for $590,000. Who would pay $600,000 for a piss house? (laughs) The byline says A brutally honest realtor described the Colorado home as having profanity scrawled on the walls and a fridge filled with rotting meat. 
why though? <laughs> like why? why? It sounds like a haunted house, honestly. Like, I have a couple questions. Why did the realtor describe it like that? Describe it this way if he wants to sell it for six hundred thousand dollars. Is it like a really nice house that's supposed to be worth more and like six hundred thousand dollars is a steal? Also, where is it? It's in Colorado Springs. Is that in Colorado? Yeah. Five bedroom, four bathroom. So it's not it's a, a small big house. house. It's adorned in spray painted sayings like suck my ass. <laughs> oh my God. And feces stuffed in drawers. Jesus Christ. Just fucking clean the house before you sell it. You know, <laughs> get a team in there. The realtor told channel Denver seven. She has received 16 written cash offers in the first 24 hours of the house being on the market. Well, they probably didn't see the fucking piss and shit. I have, she says, I've never seen this kind of hysteria about a vacant home. I've gotten about 90 text messages since we posted the listing from people interested. There's either a lot of freaky people in Colorado or they have no idea this house is full of piss and shit. Well, maybe my other question is why even try to sell this home? Like, I know that people buy vacant homes all the time to like renovate and sell for much more. Or they tear them down and build something else. Like, why? And also, why are you not cleaning the fridge of rotting meat? Yeah, so we're just going to leave the meat while we do some showings. Like, why? Yeah, like, do you want a snack? Ew. Like, <laughs> rotting meat is actually the worst thing. And then do. also, I'm thinking maybe the offers are because... I don't know what the uh, real estate market is in Colorado Springs, but maybe this is relatively low for, like, the size of the house or the I'm size of the it lot. Be. It must be. So maybe people just want to tear it down or something. I don't fucking know. I just thought it was funny that she described it that way. I just think it's, like, almost it's almost heartbreaking how how people are so willing to go and live in a piss and shit filled house. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so do you want to move there? I don't want to move there, but it does. Honestly, it sounds like when you go to like a fake haunted house and there's that one room and, and like when you're walking through and there's like these like fake dead pigs everywhere. I wish there were more. Um... You know? Oh, yeah. She said the housing market in Colorado is red hot, red hot. Well, she's a realtor. So they always say that. Yeah. When has a realtor ever not said red hot? Okay. So the original person who was renting the home disappeared. Her family members came into the home and they did all this damage. And they killed two of her cats and left them in the bathroom. Oh my god. Why? That's just how the article ends. I didn't read that part at first. Jesus Christ. That's kind of fucking terrifying. And yeah. sad. Poor cats. Yeah. So it's probably a nice host and host. <laughs> <laughs> and then it got pissed and shitting. Pissed and shitting, and graffitied. And- Why do they hate their family? Why do we all? Whoa. <laughs> well, that was weird shit of the week. I just bumped my microphone, so yeah, I'm going to have to cut that. That was a bleak, depressing end to weird shit of the week. Yeah, that was weird shit. I thought it was really positive and upbeat and made me really excited for the day. Mine, at least, was a near-death experience that resulted in a newfound lust for life. Mine was a deep introspection into the real estate market of Colorado Springs. Yeah, Sure. Idiot. <laughs> Do we have any listeners in Colorado? Oh my god, they're probably the ones who did it. You know what? We're gonna be like uh, the guy who wrote Catcher in the Rye and get blamed for this. We would attract that crowd. Yeah. 
So hey, girl, do not piss and shit in people's homes. We're telling even you if they right have now, a bathroom. This is just like. Fucking what's her face? Lindsay in the sewers. Is her name Lindsay? <laughs> yeah. Lindsay in the sewers. We have Get a job out. to do on this podcast. Get out. We have a job to do. Stop going in the sewers. We are changing <laughs> lives. Today is the episode that's going to go live uh, the f- uh, first Monday after Canada Day. Yes. So in that way, we, um, we want to mention a couple things. First... Uh, Scott Wabano is an indigenous person in Canada. He's also a member of the LGBT community. He identifies as gay and two-spirited. And given what's happened very recently in Canada, I mean, not very recently, this has been going on for ever as a, as a country, but what's been revealed, um, we definitely just want to mention that we will be discussing some of the findings at residential schools and we recorded this interview prior to the news that there were more children found in a school in saskatchewan yeah so that is very very um unsettling and we 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 do talk about this with scott but again we didn't we didn't hear about the saskatchewan school until after recording the interview so we didn't touch on that we also i didn't want to like bombard scott with all these questions yeah. about the residential school situation and the graves that they've been finding because i don't i know that like generational trauma is a big conversation Absolutely. that's come up since and i don't i didn't i didn't want him to come on our show and think that he was like no like totally the, the poster child for speaking about these really traumatic no. things absolutely i just but, think i just want to showcase yeah and i do think we j- i just think it's important to mention now like just to to, because otherwise, I don't think it would. I think we should at least mention it. But yeah, it we is. will. No, I definitely think we should. I before we get into our interview, think we should discuss the the topic of of what's been going on and yeah. like why people. There's like this big reckoning of of not celebrating Canada Day, and that's why I think doing it on this episode is kind of important because mm-hmm. instead of having a day like woo canada like we're mm-hmm. having a day to showcase an indigenous voice and talk about mm-hmm. what's going on absolutely but yeah. you're right like a trigger warning is important yeah so um yes just wanted to mention that i just want to say like indigenous issues in canada and america but i feel like i just know i don't i don't are, indigenous issues in america do you do they get as much of a attention yeah no and i think the reason for this is that um first america has done a great job at burying its history regarding slavery mm-hmm. and an even better job burying its history when it comes to its relationship with indigenous people there's almost like no record of the types of things that happen towards indigenous people when you know america was first quote founded or like yeah. found you know what i mean so, like, that was, like, a a genocide that literally is, we have no idea the scope and scale because it was so massive and it was just not marked down. And it was done for, like, centuries, you know what I mean? Like, there were entire populations of people that were just completely eradicated and there's literally no record of it. So, that is why I think... It's less of a salient issue in the States, especially because um, 
they also like they're still you know they're they're not even just reeling with with like um indigenous people they're still grappling with the history of how black people have been treated in in america mm-hmm. you know so it's there's there's like a lot of um there's a lot there's like so many more layers added on to the story of indigenous people in the states that it becomes like it just becomes more and more like hard to unravel and actually speak publicly about and, and gain support on. That being said, there's still a lot of activism in America for um, indigenous people. Like we saw Dakota Access Pipeline. That was a mm-hmm. um, that was a big moment, and there are there's a growing movement towards some sort of reconciliation in the states. But I think. In Canada, it is definitely, like, the most prevailing, like, stain on Canadian history because it's still lasting. Yeah, well, I think the big thing about the past month now, over a month? It's been, like, yeah, I think just over a month. Um, I think the big thing about the unmarked graves that they've found and the uh, remains that they've discovered is that most Canadian adults know about residential schools. Mm -hmm. I think what surprises people is how uh, recent residential schools are. Like, I Mm -hmm. think a lot of people think of it as such a a foreign, like, long time ago, ancient thing. But, like, what, the last one closed in 99, 97? I think 96, but, yeah, yeah, like, very recently. So, yeah, like, the late 90s. And so I think that as we're discovering these graves, it puts a number to it and i think when people have like the the number of how many children mm-hmm. were killed it 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 really makes you feel something more than just knowing that these things existed does yeah. that make sense absolutely yeah i think it's it's definitely just like such a, a rude awakening for mm-hmm. a lot of people and it's unfortunate that that's the kind of like that's what's needed to to see people even discuss these things and it is just it's very upsetting absolutely i mean i remember when the first the one in kamloops that was first right Mm -hmm. was discovered and the government wasn't going to pay for any others to be searched yeah they didn't want people to fucking know so have they are they paying for these new searches i kind of don't know i'm not sure i don't know exactly but frankly they should be i think I don't know that there is a perfect answer for what the the state should do for when it comes to reconciliation, but I think, you know, the first step at least is we, we need to know the extent to which all of this all of this happened. I mean, it was I think when I read it it was, it was like it was going to cost 1.3 million to search the residential schools, which mm. for the government is like not a lot of money. Literally. So, CERB was like a huge fucking $50 billion program, something like that. Do you remember learning about residential schools in high school? Yes. I do remember learning about them. I remember thinking like, Jesus Christ, like, mm-hmm. holy fuck. But um, I don't even think that residential schools are the only... Like, I think um, there's definitely a emphasis put on them for a reason. But like the issue is, I think... Also, like, the rhetoric. Like, the reason these schools were created and they're, you know, the Indian Act and, like, all these things is just deeply, deeply, deeply racist. And it was, like, like, that is a subtler state. So, it is, 
it is just one part of many, many, um, like tentacles of how this operation affected like all members of like all different tribes, all different like, um, areas, you know, reservation land, like being not only taken away, but then also being like manipulated in a way that it's very difficult to like these areas are very very secluded they're not giving like actually like good land and whatnot you know so it's all these things just layer on top of each other and it was just a systematic eradication of people and it's very sad yeah i think the biggest thing um to remember is the just like residual effects Mm -hmm. of residential schools and i've seen a lot of posts about like people white people arguing Mm -hmm. that like it happened so long ago even though it didn't Mm -hmm. they're arguing that it happened so long ago and people need to move on and like uh, just shit like that and then i saw this this indigenous woman reply saying like like that like the people at residential schools were their grandparents Mm -hmm. or like their parents depending how old they are like it was literally not long ago Mm -hmm. it was just about within our lifetime literally and then trauma you know it takes a long time, like generations to, to heal from that. And I think right now, the most important thing is definitely uplifting those voices and just supporting the indigenous people in your life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, got to make space to let these stories be heard so we can help people that we care about heal. Yeah. What are your opinions on um, not celebrating Canada Day? Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Do you think that's a thing that will be this year or will be or will Canada Day be different forevermore? I think honestly, I never really gave a shit about Canada Day. It was more just a holiday to get drunk, you know. What just I mean? an excuse to drink for Exactly. Real. Yeah. I don't think Canadians are especially when we relate it to the states, you know, like America people are um what's the word? Like deeply into their history and whatnot and like if you ask a Canadian like when, like, what was the year that the Canadian, quote, Declaration of Independence, like, not the same thing, but what was the year that that even happened, people wouldn't be able to tell you. They wouldn't even be able to know what the, the act was called. Yeah. And they, so it's it's very different, I think, in Canada. I think for people, like, I think there are a lot of people who have a sense of, like, Canadian pride. And I think you can be, like, proud of the accomplishments, I guess, that a modern that your your country can do but you can't also like celebrate it when there's so so much that's supposed to be done like i also think it's like it's okay to um be grateful that you live in canada Mm -hmm. and understand that this country affords us a lot of opportunities that other countries don't Mm -hmm. and there are good things about canada but if you if you love canada like it's almost your responsibility to face the shitty things that Canada has done. Yeah. If you listen, you got to make it better. Yeah. So like, and it's not even the shitty things that Canada has done. It's the shitty things that it's still doing. It's doing to our indigenous people. There are so many uh, reservations that don't have clean drinking water. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I know it's, yeah, it's really fucked up. So I don't know. I think, I think that, Canada Day, and I know this will be posted after Canada Day, but I hope that Canada Day this year is just a day to reflect. Absolutely, yeah. And think about what we can do better as a country. Yes. 
And as members of the LGBTQ community, what we can do to with our fellow indigenous members of the community as well. Like Scott was talking about, you know, being too spirited, I think is a very um, interesting intersection of being indigenous and being part of the LGBT community. But he also did mention like, you know, these are, it's kind of put in there almost for some people just as like a lump sum group. And then for other people, it's like, uh, it is like a very real role in the, in the queer community and in the queer space. So I do think it's really important right now, especially to to get those perspectives and listen to those voices as well. And I think, um, you know, it was just so interesting to like hear. Well, you'll see. I won't. I don't want to spoil. The, I don't want to spoil the, the end of it. I mean, yeah. I think the thing about two spirit people is like, as Scott will say, not a sexuality or like a gender identity. And mm-hmm. so I think that's why some people don't feel like the two s or the two belongs in mm-hmm. the lgbtq plus acronym the way I, the way i always think about just the queer community is just non-cisgender yeah, heterosexual exactly so in that respect i do think i think it fits in but i think also people have a right to identify or not identify mm-hmm. with the community as they as they please i just want the queer community to be a big as big a group as possible of people that are quote others right Absolutely. that's sweet pure I'm not the, and then we can the, take them down. <laughs> take them down. Yes. Maybe we can organize on this podcast. Straight up. Uh, organize a, a queer revolution. Oh, that would be fun. Right? Um, I don't... I don't... Maybe this is too vulnerable to say on the podcast, but I am very small part indigenous. That was bad English. <laughs> I am a very small part indigenous. Uh-huh. And it's a part of myself I've never identified with. Uh-huh. But like, I've been thinking about it. And I've been thinking about it for like the last year. Is that something I can explore? Just learn more about? I know that I am a 100% a white presenting person and I am mostly a white person. Mm-hmm. But I know that there's Métis in my heritage. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, do I have a right to explore that? Should I explore that? Do I have a responsibility to explore that? Interesting. I don't know. I mean, I think you. I think you have like you. I don't think you should. Like, if I was you, I would. Yeah. Because I think. I mean, it's just also good to be educated on that as well. But I also think it'd be interesting. I mean, I'm always a big fan. I've never done it, but I want to do like an ancestry thing. Like, actually get to know my ancestors. I heard they steal your data or something. I don't know. I saw it on Dateline. They They steal your shit. Everyone steals your shit. Yeah, that's true. Google emailed me today saying my passwords are all available online. I was (gasps) like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to change them now? I didn't even know how it found them. But anyways. What does that mean? Your passwords are all available online. It's like, oh, if you're using the... Like, we found your passwords online. Like, just like banked. Like, oh. like accessible. Oh. Yeah. And I have had people hack into my Amazon. Someone account. hacked into my Zoom. Really? Someone hacked into my Zoom a couple weeks ago because we I got Zoom premium for uh-huh. some interviews. And then I went like a week later and I looked and I got a bill for like a hundred dollars, a hundred US dollars. And Zoom premium is like 20 bucks. And so I was like, what the fuck? And so I contacted them and they said that someone was doing audio conferencing in Turkey. Jeez. They were like, was this you? I was like, no, it was not me. And I still haven't gotten my money back. Really? It's an investigation. So Wow. It's really That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome. Just a side note. One time someone broke into my Amazon account. We seem broke into And um, <laughs> bought a bunch of Xbox gift cards, but oh. it got refunded. But because they got gift cards, they got the code. 
Oh, they got the code right away. Let's do that. I know. I thought that I was like, wow, that is actually really smart. Yeah. No ideas. Don't give anyone any ideas. (laughs) My password is (laughs) Liam rules one, two, three, four. It's with a Z. Yeah. That's the the tricky part. That's the the tricky part. Anyways, what? That kind, we kind of just like took a yeah, sorry, took a left <laughs> right there. <but laughs> yeah, I think um, I think it'd be interesting to know where in your lineage that um, that like DNA comes from. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like, also scared the... it's not going to be a good thing, a nice place that it came from. Yeah, that is a real possibility but too. I don't know. Maybe I should know that too. I don't know. I just like don't know where. I don't know how to even initiate that process. Ancestry. Like, or like, I with, guess ancestry would be how I initiate it. I think if you get, um, like birth records or anything, like, or just have names, like, they have a lot of records. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. It's kind of hard, honestly. I tried to do it when I was a kid one time and it was asked for my, like, grandparents' middle names. And I was like, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> that and was where up. you gave up. <laughs> Literally, that was where I gave up. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we could, we can pass it on to our interview now because yeah yeah our episode episode. with scott is much lighter i think this is just because it's coming on the tails of of some news that came out that i thought the need to maybe take this no i think it's really good that we mentioned that and had just like a brief i really wanted this episode to be about what's why canada day is problematic yeah (laughs) like i wanted to talk about it and then i i think it's great for the rest of our episode we're going to showcase a two-spirit indigenous voice. Yes, so. with amazing work, by the way. So go check it out. Yeah, amazing work. So we'll go to our interview. Woo-woo! Scott Wabano is a two-spirit EU from the Cree nation of Waskaganesh. Scott is a freelance fashion stylist working with Leslie Hampton, Sephora, and Toronto Indigenous Fashion Week. In addition, they are a designer for their own brand, Wabano, and most recently appeared on the cover of Native Max Magazine's Future Issue. Please welcome to the podcast, Scott Wabano. How are you guys doing? Nice to meet you. Me too. Yeah, we're good. Um, you're in Toronto, right? Yeah, so you're a couple hours ahead right now? Yes. How are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just a little busy. It's Pride and Indigenous History Month, so schedule's a little on the go, but I'm happy. I'm having fun. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Great. We're doing well, yeah. BC is opening up again. We're getting excited. It is Pride Month, like you said. Yeah, we're we're. It's an exciting month for us too. Yeah, we just got a couple things on the go, and we're really excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, are you guys uh, in Vancouver or? Yes. Yeah, yeah Vancouver. Yeah. Cool. I was just there uh, two weeks ago, actually, for a shoot. So and it was, I was kind of like culture shocked because there was. That was when Toronto was still in their lockdown. And then I like went to BC and seen everything just like open and like all the people at, I, I don't know what that beach was called, English Bay? I think yeah. that's what it's called. Yeah. So that was packed. It was a little, little culture shock. <laughs> but it was, so, it was so nice to visit there. I love it in Vancouver. Yeah. I need to come to Toronto. I've never been. I so. haven't either. We'll just get started. But, anyways, thanks again for joining us. Sounds good. We are joined with Scott Wabano. Um, he is a two-spirited fashion designer from Toronto. And for people who don't know, which is probably a fair amount of our listeners, what does it mean to uh, to be two-spirited? Yeah, um, thank you all for having me. Um, yeah, I ident- identify as a two-spirit EU. I'm from the Cree Nation of Wiskagnish in the EU Territory. Um, 
However, um, what before I speak about, you know, my two spirit identity, I could only I always start this off by saying I can only speak on behalf of myself. Um, you know, two spirit identities are a very complex and very, you know, unique identities under, you know, many First Nations around Canada and, you know, USA around the globe. Um, so I always like to start off saying, you know, I can only speak on behalf of myself, uh, my teachings and where I'm from. Um, but what I've been taught was, or what I was, uh, learned, um, was that being two spirit is, you know, more than, you know, people mistake it as a sexual orientation or they mistake it as a gender identity. Um, but, you know, being two spirit is more than that. You know, it's a sacred role within indigenous communities, uh, around many nations across the globe. Um, it's, it's more than a gender, <laughs> um, you know, um, it's, acknowledging that you have both masculine and both feminine spirits within you and how they live in harmony and balance is how you live your life as a two-spirit person and like I said I could only speak on behalf of myself I identify as a yakwe uh, which means neither man nor woman um, but like I said many different nations across Canada across USA across the globe have um, different terms um, in their own languages underneath their nations uh, for um, what two-spirit means, you know, uh, the word two-spirit is an umbrella term, um, you know, that was just uh, invented in the 90s, I believe, at a two-spirit conference, just to kind of, um, just to kind of um, acknowledge all of the um, roles that many different First Nation communities have. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like it is very, complex and it's interesting to hear your personal story of that but I another thing I'm I'm curious about is we often think of the LGBTQ community as like having to undergo this process of you know like public acknowledgement and like coming out is that something that that as a two-spirited person that you went through or is it more is it more of a tacit acknowledgement I think nowadays uh, with, you know, with colonization and everything uh, coming out is, is something that's now normal, I guess you could say. Um, but like I did have a coming out story, but it was not me coming out as two spirit. It was me coming out as gay. Um, Cause I do I identify as a two spirit gay uh, EU. Um, but I think um, I always, um, you know, look towards my elders, you know, my knowledge keepers and my community when it comes to uh, my two-spirit identity and something I always think of and something I kind of live my life by is, you know, I never came out as a two-spirit person. I came into myself as a two-spirit person. I fulfilled that role within my community and I'm still fulfilling in that role and learning, um, you know, the various teachings and the various, um, uh, knowledge that comes with this role too. Wow. Could that's you, a, yeah, that's such a nice way to put it. Could you tell us a bit about like what that role means to your community? Yeah. So, um, you know, prior colonization, uh, two spirited people were well-respected people within their communities. You know, they were seen as chiefs. They were seen as healers. They were seen as matchmakers, you know, shamans. Um, they were very respected and very, you know, um, honorable people within our communities just because of how close of the connection we had to creator because of uh, both masculine and feminine spirits that we housed inside of us. 
And, you know, as colonization, you know, came, uh, that's when, you know, the churches started to deem, um, you know, our identities as, you know, demonic or, you know, otherworldly, um, you know, started labeling gay as a sin, you know, and started labeling um, shaman people and, you know, our healers as witches and what we did as witchcraft. So when colonization came, a lot of our people had to go into hiding, you know, a lot of our people, a lot of our two-spirit people were afraid, you know, to even show their gifts. And now uh, we're seeing this huge wave and this new resurgence of uh, young two-spirit and indigenous queer youth who are now, you know, fulfilling their roles as, you know, leaders within their communities, as healers, you know, as those people that are bringing balance, you know, to different people's lives. Because indigenous people, we are often living um, two lives nowadays, you know, um, uh, balancing our culture and our teachings and, you know, what we've known for generations, but also adapting to this new Western world and all of the different technologies that come with it. So, yeah, um, I see a lot of our a lot of the next generation is fulfilling their roles as, you know, leaders and matchmakers, <laughs> not necessarily matchmakers these days, but um, leaders, uh, shamans, and, you know, just people who are here to make change and create positive change for, you know, our communities and for society as a whole. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to, you you kind of mentioned something I'd like to talk about as well, is just that you feel there's almost like two worlds you're living in. And I'm curious as like both um, a member of the queer community and an indigenous youth, I like, how do you, how do you feel you are represented in the larger LGBTQIA2 plus community? Um, I honestly think there is still a lot of work that needs to be done within society on, you know, acknowledging two spirit and also bringing forth two spirit representation in the whole LGBTQIA plus um, acronym. You know, there's also this whole movement of how two spirit 2S should be at the front of the acronym now because, you know, as we are the first people of this land, um, <clears throat> there's also arguments on how 2S shouldn't even be a part of the acronym uh, because it's, you know, not a sexual orientation or a gender identity. It's a sacred role. Um, <clears throat> so there is a lot of uh, conversations happening happening uh, with 2Spirit and Indigenous queer youth um, about our you know, involvement within the LGBTQ uh, community. And I think I could speak for all of us when I say that, you know, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done on, you know, bringing us into the community and acknowledging who we are and, you know, um, bringing that representation as well too. you know, that's something that I'm very passionate about. And that's something that's very, um, that kind of drives my career is um, the lack of rep- two-spirit and indigenous queer representation in uh, not only mainstream society, but more specifically uh, the fashion industry as well too. So yeah, I do think there's a lot of work uh, to be done. Um, I think just acknowledging us and, you know, making space for us and um, just educating yourselves on, you know, our complex and our unique identities is the first step. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I really appreciate you being here to help 
educate our listeners because obviously we can't speak on something like this. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about how you got into fashion and styling. Like, could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, like, I think fashion has just always been a part of my life. Um, growing up, I was really heavily involved in ceremony and, you know, um, dancing, specifically power dancing and, you know, seeing my family um, design and construct my regalias. But not only that, too, I also come from grandparents who used to work for the Hudson's Bay Trading Post. And, you know, they basically lived their life as hunters and as craftspeople in order to survive. They had to sell their crafts to, you know, the people at Hudson's Bay. They had to sell them to tourists. They had to sell um, fur pelts to trappers associations. You know, I just always was around, you know, fashion and seeing um, my family create uh, garments from our, from what we killed or, you know, from our food and what, and whatnot. So, you know, as Indigenous people, fashion is just always a part of our lives, you know, it's just a part of our identity. And to kind of elaborate more on the identity part, you know, there is a special connection that we have with our clothes, uh, specifically with um, our traditional regalias, oftentimes, you know, we, we don't just design it, you know, there's um, ceremonies that are put in place, you know, there are dreams that come to us, there are animals that, you know, represent us as well, too that we incorporate into our regalia, into our everyday attire. Um, so yeah, I was just, I grew up and I was surrounded by that. And, you know, I also was very feminine as a child. I had long black hair because I was power dancing. And, you know, I was often bullied a lot for, you know, looking like a girl, for sounding like a girl, for hanging out with girls, um, you know, just for being really feminine. and my form of escapism, I guess you could say from, you know, all the hardships that I face, you know, from uh, my hard home life and everything was fashion magazines. And um, the one convenience store that we had, um, I used to go there as a child back in like middle school, grade school. And I used to just browse through all the magazines and, you know, I'll see all the red carpets and all the fancy gowns and, you know, just be amazed and just be just fall in love with all the specific uh, dresses and all of the different designers and yeah it was just it, my love for fashion just grew from there and like I said it um, was just always a part of my life and I wasn't always into fashion like I, I originally wanted to get into music and into the music industry but I remember even being a part of that. And I was always thinking, oh, I can't wait to like design my merch, design, you know, sweaters, design all these things. So yeah, it was just always been a part of my life. And I guess I kind of had like an epiphany and was like, you know what, I should actually turn this into a career, you know, like, I've always had that whole, you know, mindset of doing what you love. So it doesn't feel like a job. So I was just like, whatever, um, said, screw it. And left my home community, came to school in Toronto and just kind of hit the ground running and just decided to submerse myself in the fashion industry here and just trying to network and attend all these events and just learn from anybody and anybody, really. I mean, coming from such a rural area and then into Toronto, I mean, 
that alone for for anybody can be definitely a bit of a shock but as um like as a gay person as well i'm imagining there wasn't arguably a very large gay community where you were initially from and then coming into toronto how was it you know coming into such a large gay scene it was almost like a culture shock you know it was very it was almost a culture shock but it was also very liberating and very um such a happy feeling at the same time you know i felt like i could finally be in myself you know and not be judged for it but i just felt like i could learn and just felt free and felt so <laughs> like i said liberating just being here and just seeing all these different types of uh cultures and all the different backgrounds that people come from it was very eye opening and it was very um life changing to say the least uh yeah it's also made me feel very sad at the same time you know because of where i do come from and you know the fact that i probably wouldn't be who i was or be as outspoken or you know as comfortable with my identity as i were today if i didn't leave um my home community and i just think of all the other youth who don't have the privilege of leaving their home community you know there are people who cannot believe who will stay there their entire lives and have to you know hide part of themselves or not feel confident enough to be themselves or not or feel like it's not safe to be themselves you know and that it's like a bittersweet feeling you know it's super it makes I'm really happy to be out here but it also makes me sad because I you know want this feeling for all of my youth and all of the people living around the world. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um I wanted to ask you about how you feel non-indigenous people who want to be allies to the indigenous communities how they can uplift indigenous queer voices in like everyday life. Like what are some things that I mean for example we could do as two privileged white men. Yeah. <laughs> for I would just say, you know, just educating your peers and you know help help making space for us as well too like i don't want to say you have to like you know give every opportunity you have to us but you know just acknowledging that you know there are other um that we are out here too as well you know and we are doing the same amount of work as any other people are out here too you know we're in the same spaces we um have the same passions as well so just creating space for us and educating your peers and you know acknowledging us is um that's a good step. I wanted to talk about because you are on the cover. I just saw you're on the cover of um Native Max magazine, I believe, right? And it's the future issue. <laughs> um that was actually kind of uh well like being on a cover of a magazine has always been, you know, my goal as a child. So it's I'm super happy obviously like I'm super ecstatic about it like the fact that it's you know the first ever indigenous fashion magazine to ever be out there as well too is kind of um mind blowing as well too um yeah it's it just it really makes me happy and it just goes to show that you know we're making progress not only within mainstream society but within our indigenous communities as well too and by acknowledging you know two spirit identities and two spirit individuals within our communities who are 
doing um, a lot of work, you know, uh, and I'm merely just one person out of this whole community and this whole population of two-spirit people who are creating spaces for other youth like like myself. So it's um it's very rewarding. It's very happy. Like I'm super excited for the future and how, you know, this will um, impact and bring in more two-spirit individuals and, you know, inspire more two-spirit youth to, you know, be themselves fully and freely and to also, you know, chase their dreams because, you know, we oftentimes feel like our dreams are unachievable because of the lack of representation we see. And so I'm hoping this will help ignite that spark within you know the future generation and help them realize that they are able to be on the cover of a magazine too (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. yeah oh that's great that's great i also wanted to um i saw that your debut collection which is sold out by the way um (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to give you a chance to tell us about that like what was the inspiration behind that collection Mm -hmm. well i get a lot of my inspiration you know from my communities, you know, from the people I'm surrounded by, my friends, you know, um, even my own life as well, too. So this collection has been kind of like a year in the making. I know um, I've always been inspired by, like I said, my friends and my community and the people who are actually in the campaign. So my friends Cricket, uh, Sam, Kyron and Leslie. Um, the whole collection was actually inspired by all of them and, you know, and how, how powerful and, you know, how strong individuals they are, you know, creating, make, taking up space and, you know, creating change, uh, not only within their communities, but within mainstream society too. Um, so I wanted to create clothing that, you know, would depict their lives, you know, clothing that they would be able to wear, you know whether they be on the front lines for rallies, you know, whether they be at a meeting with Vogue or something, you know, um, I want to create clothes that they feel represented in, you know, they feel themselves in. Um, And like I said, we, there's a lot of our, a lot of our youth are living this balance of two lives of, you know, traditional and also uh, Western society. So I wanted to create clothes, Um, That's my whole spirit inspiration on that too. So I want to create clothing that depicts that and, you know, that allows indigenous youth to feel seen and to feel like they could wear this clothing, clothing anywhere. Yeah, it is. It looks very cool, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, um, yeah, and it was really important for me to incorporate uh, sustainable materials as well, too. So everything is all printed on, you know, 100% recycled polyester, uh, 100% organic cotton as well, too. Our bombers are made to order. And, you know, I'm very um, against fast fashion. So <laughs> I really want to bring more awareness to sustainable fashion and, you know, it's, I feel like it's important as an Indigenous designer, you know, to be um, cautious of my footprint and to also work with sustainable materials. As, as you know, we are uh, caretakers of Mother Earth and the fashion industry is the second most polluting industry in the world. So it's up to us to kind of change that. <laughs> 100%. Yes. All of this will be 
available in the description of this episode, by the way. So definitely go check that out, guys. Yeah. Um, Do you have any exciting projects coming up? What's next for you? Oh, my God. Um, Well, like I'm already planning into 2022 already, which is like mind blowing to me. Um, But like I have a lot more collaborations coming out with other Indigenous designers. Um, I have a collaboration coming out with IKEA Canada for Pride. Um, I also have a film that's debuting at Pride Toronto on the 25th. Um, I have a Pride collection coming out. I also have more collections coming out. Um, Just a lot more clothing, a lot more focusing on my brand and yeah. Just kind of going with the flow. (laughs) Very exciting stuff. Yeah. Well, like Liam said, we will have all of the links to your socials and your website in the description of this episode. And I just want to say thanks so much for being here. Yes. This was really great. No, thank you guys for having me. I really enjoyed myself. Bye. Have a good one. Thank you so much to Scott for joining us on the podcast. That was a very interesting discussion. And of course, you can find all of his information in the description of this episode. Yeah, and I think I'm going to put some like um, support links in the description too for Indigenous peoples and links where you can support Indigenous people Mm -hmm. in Canada. Yes. So. Time for Song of the Week. Time for Song of the Week. (laughs) What's up? I'm the twice. One more time. Time for song of the week. Yeah. yeah. There's a jingle in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> what's your song? My song is, um, what's it called again? Shit. I just had it on. Lipstick by Willow. Willow Smith. Is that new? Yeah. Oh my God. I haven't heard it. Yeah, it's good. Did that just come out? I think literally. Like I downloaded it yesterday. Oh, I love me some Willow. Right? I'll probably like that. Yeah. Love Willow. Yeah. I think she's underrated. Yeah, for sure. Remember when she's, I wear my hair back and forth, I wear my hair. uh, Why did everyone love that shit, but they don't love this shit that's actually, like, (laughs) claps. Right? (laughs) And she's had a lot of albums. Literally. Like, a lot. Like, I'm looking right here. She's she's on her fifth album. Jeez. I'm sorry. Show some more respect for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air's daughter. Hold on, wait a minute. Yeah, like that song. Mm. Anyways. My song of the week is called Black Hole, and it's by Griff, who is a wonderful just pop artist, I think. Jeez. She's British. She's British. She's a way bit British. Yeah. A way bit British. She just makes... I just think she makes really good kind of like just, you know, catchy pop music that's also just a little bit emotional, and that's totally my vibe. Yeah, that really does sound like your shit. That's 100% my vibe. Did you just find out about this lady? No, I knew about her a couple years ago because she had this song called um, Forgive Myself. And I really love that song. And she's just kind of, or maybe it was a year ago, but she's just kind of released like buzz singles. And Uh she just released her first EP or mixtape called One Foot in Front of the Other. And it's really good. The whole thing's really good. That's awesome. Love her. You know why they say one foot in front of the other? Why? Because that's how you get somewhere. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. I walking, walking, maybe running one foot in front of the other very quickly. Yes. Speed walking. Well, anyways, you can find us on Instagram <laughs> at Two Servings Pod or at Twitter also at Two Servings Pod. Or you can email us. Or you can call us. No, don't call us. Or you can text us. You can. you can WhatsApp group chat us. <laughs> you can visit. You can Snapchat us. Liam. What's up? You can learn more about us at twoseringspot.com. We should start a Snapchat. Sure. Just, 
You can be in charge of that. It'll be ready in 2023. It'll be ready in 2023. Snapchat's not going to be around in 2023, idiot. True. We should have a TikTok. Yeah. We gotta start filming this shit. TikTok dance challenge. Yeah. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so dearly. And we hope you have a splendid July. July. Bye. Bunga. Okay. You can sing Bunga. Bunga.